Episode 39, Gutenberg and the Printing Press. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. Well, I was going to try to fit Gutenberg into the last episode, since he actually lived before the High Renaissance, and his invention kind of fit into the ethos of talking about the really great high points of the Renaissance. But there was just too much to cover in that one episode, plus Gutenberg really does deserve his own episode. Back in 1999, I was alive back then, yes, the TV channel A&E did a countdown just before the new millennium began, and it counted down the most important people of the last 1,000 years. So the period from A.D. 1000 to A.D. 1999. They surveyed a bunch of history experts and professors to come up with the list. It's kind of an interesting list, and the list is still out there somewhere on the internet. Coming in at number two, the number two most important person of that millennium was Martin Luther who we will get to in a couple of episodes. But coming in at number one was Johannes Gutenberg. Here's a quote from Mark Twain, who once said of Gutenberg, What the world is today, good and bad, it owes to Gutenberg. Everything can be traced back to this source, but we are bound to bring him homage. For the bad that his colossal invention has brought about is overshadowed a thousand times by the good with which mankind has been favored. So yeah, he and his invention are kind of important. Johannes Gutenberg was born around 1400 in Mainz, which is now in Germany, and at the time was part of the Holy Roman Empire. He died in 1468, so he actually missed the High Renaissance. He was ahead of it. But it makes sense to put his episode here after the episode on the High Renaissance because his invention really didn't have a huge impact until after the High Renaissance was over. But what an impact! Like I said, a lot of scholars think that the printing press was the most important invention in the last 2,000 years. Now, I have to acknowledge up front that Gutenberg was not the first person to ever use a printing press. The idea had been around for a while, and what people had been doing before Gutenberg was making it like an elaborate wood carving of a sheet of wood that they really wanted to print, and then pressing that carving on paper. But those wood carvings took forever, and they were really only useful for printing something that was like a, a one-page flyer. It would have been faster to hand copy an entire book 200 times than to make 200 some odd wood carvings of each page and then print them 200 times. It was just too slow. And a printing press, it's basically just that. It's a press, right? It's a flat surface that you lay a piece of paper on and above that is, is an inked board with some kind of engravings on it and you screw it down with a big handle and it presses the image onto the paper. Then you screw it back up again, you re-ink it and you do it again on with the next piece of paper. What Gutenberg did was to invent a whole new system, a new way of setting up this kind of press. He created a brand new way to cast soft metal type, that is the individual letters, which was faster and more repeatable. So he could quickly cast like, for example, a whole lot of the letter S 
right? So he had all the letters and all the punctuation points, and he was able to cast them and reset them quickly. Then he created a new way of mounting that type so that it was easier to reset once you were done with one page and needed to start on the next page. And he also developed some new oil-based ink that worked really well with this system. What all this meant was that suddenly it was a whole lot faster and cheaper to produce books than it had been before when they were only written by hand. Like, I mean, a whole lot faster and cheaper. It's like the difference between like walking 20 miles and driving 20 miles in a car. It's that much of a, an improvement. Plus, the technology was really actually pretty simple and not that expensive to put together and create. So soon, it had spread from Germany all over Europe, and books were being printed everywhere. We'll come back to the effect it had, but let's talk a bit more about Gutenberg himself. Gutenberg's father was a goldsmith who worked for the church bank. Back then, the church could print its own coins, apparently. But Gutenberg, because of that, knew some metallurgy, and he knew how to cast metal, which he later applied to casting the type blocks, that is, the individual letters. His early life is a bit of a mystery, but by 1450, he was living in Mainz, and it was there that he put together his first printing press. Apparently, the first thing he printed was a poem in German, and apparently he printed a few pages, but then his assistant said the printer would no longer work because it was out of magenta ink. The first profitable thing that Gutenberg printed was a Latin grammar book, but it was in 1452 that he began work on printing the Bible. He worked with an investor named Fust who had put up some money for the project. The first batch of Gutenberg Bibles was completed in 1455. There were about 180 printed, and there's still a few of them around today. They're incredibly valuable. They're worth like 25 or $30 million each. There's one in one of the libraries at the University of Texas, for example. I've seen it because I went there. The Bible was beautifully printed with 42 lines per page in two columns on each page and front and back printing on each page as well. It was a version of the Latin Vulgate Bible with a really, really pretty font and justified margins. It's really pretty to look at. Some copies included hand-drawn ornamentation and illuminated letters at the beginning in some of the paragraphs. There's some pics of different versions of Bibles that Gutenberg printed on the website. About a year after the first run of Bibles was finished, there was some kind of financial dispute between Gutenberg and his investor, Fust. Fust sued Gutenberg, and the court sided with Fust and gave him possession of the printing workshop. So Gutenberg, at that point, was effectively bankrupt. But he moved to another German city, the city of Bamberg, and he set up another shop, and he apparently printed more Bibles and other works. But none of the other printed works bear his name, and so it's kind of hard to be sure. Eventually, his achievements were recognized by the archbishop of the area, and later in his life, the archbishop gave him a monthly stipend, plus an annual allotment, 2,000 liters of grain a year, and 2,000 liters of wine a year. Now, I did the math on this, right? That's about five and a half liters of wine a day, or not quite a gallon and a half of wine a day. That would almost be enough to keep your average podcaster going. Despite all the wine, or maybe because of it, Gutenberg was never really successful in his lifetime. 
He died in 1468, and he was buried in a church in Mainz. But that church and cemetery were later destroyed, and his grave and his remains are now lost. He died in 1468, sort of unsuccessful, but by 1500, the printing press was active all over Europe. That was successful. In Venice, they started printing the major Greek and Latin texts like Plato, Aristotle, Homer, Virgil, and Cicero. In Germany, a little bit later, Luther's 95 Theses would be printed on a press, and within five years of Luther having completed the theses and written them and first you know, nailing them to the door, 300,000 copies of the 95 Theses had been printed. Nothing like that had ever happened in the history of the world. There was like nothing else in the world that had 300,000 copies of it. But after that, books of all sorts, including the Bible, academic classics like Aristotle, and newer works by contemporary authors, all were being printed on printing presses and distributed widely. So, what did this do? Well, wow, I mean, it only completely changed the entire world. Let me step back for just a second and say that human learning, in general, is the process of taking in new information, assessing it against what you already know, and then adjusting your beliefs accordingly to that new information. A key piece of that process is taking in new information. And one of the best ways to do that is to read a book. Books make you think in a way that TV or YouTube just doesn't. A book makes you more of an active participant in the learning process in a way, whereas TV or even podcasts make you sort of a passive recipient. Books are better. They just are. I know, I know. I'm making a podcast. But books are just better as far as real learning goes. The problem was, back before Gutenberg, th there just weren't that many books. They were hard to find. They were very expensive, and it took forever to copy even one book. So there just weren't that many of them. The books that did exist were held onto by the wealthy or the very few scholars that had them. This meant that there just weren't that many scholars also. The percentage of really educated people in a city was low, maybe below 1%. The percentage of people who could read was low too. Now that percentage was higher in the cities where merchants and government officials needed the skills of reading and writing, but literacy wasn't universal. I saw one article that said that the literacy rate in the Middle Ages was below 20% in Europe. The printing press changed that. It changed it very quickly, in fact. Suddenly, in one or two generations, there was such a huge increase in the availability of good things to read that it became much more common for people to learn to read. And the number of educated people grew rapidly too. So did the number of schools and universities. It became almost a kind of competitive thing. Oh, all the boys in your family can read? Well, I'll make sure all my boys, and the girls too, can read. Anyway, the proliferation of printed materials meant that if someone had a good idea, it could spread rapidly. Like Luther's 95 Theses being printed 300,000 times. It's probably fair to say that the Reformation wouldn't have happened without the printing press. And without the Reformation, you might not have the Enlightenment. And without the Enlightenment, you might not have the American Revolution. But like Twain said, it did bring some evils as well, like the French Revolution or the Internet. That can all be traced back to printing. 
all sorts of scholars and thinkers, and most importantly, regular people, began interacting with new material that became available. And that catalyzed their own ideas. And they wrote their own books. And those got printed as well. Learning, writing, literature, it exploded all over Europe. New ideas, reactions to old ideas, protests against wrong ideas, it was all happening. Like I said last episode, the Renaissance at this point went from being an artistic explosion manifested in great paintings and artwork to being a literary and learning explosion. And it was totally because of the printing press. It just accelerated the pace of human ingenuity for better and for worse, as Twain said. I think I agree with the A&E channel in saying that Gutenberg was the number one most important person of the last 1,000 years, and that the printing press was the most important invention of that time period. It might be, it might be the most important invention in all of human history. I mean, what's going to compete with it? The wheel, maybe? Sliced bread? Steel? Beer? Those are all very important inventions, and they all had their impact. But you could totally make a case for the printing press being the most important invention in all of history. It's in, it's in the running, for sure. Now, I want to take a minute here to compare the printing press to the internet. That's a big invention, and people might say, oh yeah, the internet's more important. No, it's not. I'm going to boil it down to this idea. The printing press made humanity smarter. The internet has made humanity stupider. As I said earlier, there's just something about reading that really challenges you to think, and it gauges your mind. But when you're Watching a YouTube video, it's just kind of passive, even if it's a good video. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm the first person to admit there is some good stuff out there on the internet. There's a YouTube channel I really like called The Operations Room, and it does these great digital recreations of famous battles like Iwo Jima or the Battle of the Yadrang Valley in the Vietnam War. Good stuff. But there's also just so much drivel. And other platforms like Instagram and TikTok are basically all drivel. And for whatever reason... Some people just love that. In the evening, nowadays, instead of sitting down and reading a good book like you would have done 100 years ago, a good book that would challenge you and make you think, instead, people grab their phone and they look at videos of morons doing moronic things. It's kind of where we are in the world today. But thankfully, books are still being printed. Why is that important? Lots of reasons. First of all, there's just the very tactile and durable nature of a book. Once it's printed, it's finished. You have it on your shelf, and no one can delete it and make it go away. Well, at least not until they start bringing in the Fahrenheit 451 firemen anyway. By the way, if you like books, go read that one. It's, it's making the same point that I'm making right now. Besides being a solid, unchanging, printed moment where someone's ideas are set down forever on leaves of paper, Books also, mostly, have to go through the publishing process. Though this can be slow, it's very valuable. When an author writes a book, as opposed to just posting an article on their blog, the book is sent to a publishing company. They will edit it, and they will fact-check it, and they will make sure that what it says stands up to real scrutiny. If a reputable publishing company prints something that's false, they can be sued, and no one likes that. So for the most part, they try to make sure that what they print is carefully researched, has clear attributions, is well-printed and clear. If they don't do that, they'll either get sued, or else no real good author will want to use them as a publishing company. 
This all sets a certain standard for excellence, truth, and verifiability. Of course, there are some abuses, and maybe the publishing industry is going through a bit of a transition right now. That always happens. But at least it's a system that has some checks and balances in it. On the other hand, anyone at all can publish anything they want on the internet with no one to review it or edit it. I mean, I'm kind of doing that with this podcast. No one is really fact-checking me. If I were to have said that Johannes Gutenberg had 13 wives and was a heroin addict, he wasn't and he didn't, there's not any system that would stop me from saying that and publishing it as part of my podcast. But if I was trying to write a book, though, at least with a reputable publishing company, I would need to get that 13 wives thing checked out or else they wouldn't publish it that way. They'd edit it out. Book publishing requires that somebody thinks that your book is worth the time, effort, and money of publishing it. If I were to write something that was totally dumb and insipid and ridiculous, like most of the stuff on TikTok, that no one would actually care to read as a book, most publishing companies would look at that material that I'd written and say, no, no, we're just not going to publish that. It's dumb. But on the internet, I can post the most stupid, inane, unrealistic crap that I want. If you want to claim that the earth is flat, it's not, uh, you can post that on the internet. My point here is that the internet is full of ridiculous junk and people today are kind of moving away from the idea of good, verifiable sources. Whereas the printing press created this whole industry of verified and conscientious publishing and an explosion of human learning, the internet has created, well, TikTok. So yeah, when historians a thousand years from now look back at the most important inventions of the last thousand years... They'll probably look at TV and the internet and say, yep, that's where it all went wrong. So now that you've finished this episode of a podcast that was, yeah, okay, published on the internet, now maybe you should go read a good book. Anyway, next episode, we'll be looking at the Hundred Years War, which is also chronologically, okay, it's a bit out of sequence, but it turns out that it's pretty interesting and important. So I think we need an episode on it. Joan of Arc, the Battle of Agincourt, the creation of modern France and England. Yeah, it's worth its own episode, too.